Are you a high-performing real estate investor who's looking to further elevate your performance? If so, download our free guide, Raising the Bar, Five Steps to Elevate Your Habits by joining our insider network at elevatepod.com. This guide created by yours truly has the power to put your transformation on autopilot and exponentially change your trajectory. Go get your free copy now at elevatepod.com. Welcome to Elevate, the masterclass where we dissect the elements of exceptional achievement and lifestyle design with a focus on personal growth and real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Tyler Chesser. Elevate Nation, welcome back. This is Tyler Chesser. I'm so thankful to have you here and I am amped because I have the man, the myth, the legend, Keith Ferrazzi on Elevate today. And if you've ever read the book, Never Eat Alone, uh, and all, I mean, there's so many, number one, New York Times bestselling books that this man has written. And there's so much more that Keith Ferrazzi is now putting out. And we're going to talk about all of that today. You're going to learn so much about what the organization of the future for optimized success looks like. You're going to learn about radical adaptability, how to adapt in the face of not only a pandemic, continual economic change, leading without authority. You're going to learn about how to co-elevate your team and how your team can co-elevate each other and how you can go higher together by being the new leader of the future. Because if you're a real estate investor, if you're an entrepreneur, you know that you can't go there alone. This is a team sport. And today you're going to learn so much more about how to take your team, how to take your results, how to take your lifestyle to the next level. Today's episode is absolutely phenomenal. I want to encourage you to buckle up. Elevate Podcast is all about mindset, mind expansion, and personal development for high-performing real estate investors. I'm your host, Tyler Chester, and I'm a professional real estate investor and high-performance coach. It is my job to decode the stories habits, and multifaceted expertise of world-class investors and other experts to help you elevate your performance and lifestyle. Are you ready to take it to another level? It is time. Let's raise the bar. Before we dive in today, I want to encourage you, if you haven't done so already, to give us a rating, a review, and subscribe to Elevate Podcast or follow Elevate Podcast, wherever it is that you listen to podcasts or watch podcasts, because we are everywhere And we're here. We're going to continue to bring the heat. We're going to continue to bring world-class discussions to your ears, to your eyes, whatever it is. If you're watching, if you're listening, thank you so much for being here. And the fee for listening today is just to pay it forward and share this with a friend. It doesn't cost you a dime. All we ask is that you share this with someone that you care about, someone that you maybe just met, someone that's in your network, because we're talking to the world's authority on networking today and on leadership and on radical adaptability. And really, wow, this is such a phenomenal episode. This is so epic. And I'm so excited to bring this to you. Without further ado, let me introduce you to Keith Ferrazzi, who is an American entrepreneur and recognized global thought leader in the relational and collaborative sciences. As chairman of Ferrazzi Greenlight and its research institute, he works to identify behaviors that block global organizations from reaching their goals and to transform them by coaching new behaviors that increase growth and shareholder value. Keith has introduced a new transformational operating system he calls Co-Elevation that leads to exponential change in value. Formerly, he was of the CMO of Deloitte and Starwood Hotels. By the way, one of the youngest uh, CMOs in the Fortune 500 history at the time. He has a number one New York Times bestselling author of Who's Got Your Back and Never Eat Alone, and his newest book, Leading Without Authority, as well as a frequent contributor to Harvard Business Review, 
Wall Street Journal, Fast Company, Forbes Inc., Fortune, and other publications. Keith's 20-year history of transforming C-suite executive teams has made him an agent of transformation and among the world's greatest and most sought-after coaches. It was absolutely my honor to have this conversation with the great Keith Ferrazzi. So I just want to encourage you and invite you to really enjoy this phenomenal, amazing discussion with Keith Ferrazzi. Keith Ferrazzi, what a pleasure to be with you, my friend. How are you? It is really my pleasure, Tyler. Looking forward to this. Thank you so much, man. I'm super excited. As you can tell, I'm a big fan. Obviously, uh, I love your work. I love your writing. I love your approach to business and life. And I'm super excited to introduce you to Elevate Nation today. Before we dive into that, if you were to describe yourself in the way that your closest friends, family members, the people that know you the best, how would they describe Keith Ferrazzi? Uh, driven, generous, um, probably a connector. And I think that's probably good. Look, at the end of the day, I believe that we're all put on this planet to make a bigger footprint and to have ripple effects that last beyond our life. And if we, whether that's with our family um, or whether it's broadly in society, and I've taken that very seriously and I'm, I'm more blessed and successful than, than I ever imagined when I was a young man and uh, just keep trying. I love that, man. It's, uh, it's inspiring to hear you say that. And I think it'll be even more insightful as we really dive into your backstory and sort of your upbringing from what I understand. You grew up in Pittsburgh, son of a steel worker. Tell me a little bit about that and what that really impact had on you as you grew up and, and sort of your outlook on the world that you just described there. Yeah, I wrote about this in my most recent book. Uh, well, my, my most recent book that was published uh, called Leading Without Authority. And I talk about how I saw when I was growing up, an entire industry, an entire city crumbled, brought to its knees. Pittsburgh and the steel industry crushed in the 70s. And I had made a commitment early on because I saw the suffering that impacted on the families in that community, mine included, that I was going to grow up and I was going to do something about that. And I had no idea what that meant. Um, I thought it would be politics originally. And I said, I'm going to be the governor of Pennsylvania. Mm. But I realized over time that by being in commerce, by, by being a part of the commercial system, that I could make a fundamental shift in, in the lives of millions of individuals. Um, I thought perhaps I would be a titan of industry as I started out in my career. I was uh, part of the early founding group over at Starwood Hotels um, in the early days prior to 2000. And that was an extraordinary time, seeing that kind of innovation, the creation of the W Hotel chain, the St. Regis, the acquisition of the Weston brand, et cetera. Obviously, you know, the basis of it was what Barry Sternlich did with, uh, with Sheridan. Um, but then I decided that I wanted to work with and coach leaders of extraordinary organizations to help them have the impact on their organizations that would fundamentally transform the world of work. And that's when I started Ferrazzi Greenlight almost uh, 20 some years ago. I love it. And you can see how that background, I'm sure that gritty background and that perspective that you had seeing the city around you and industry get crushed, it probably yeah. related to the drive that now you have today, the generosity, yeah, the look, connector. I mean, look, everybody who's watching this has a strong drive. They're ambitious. They're driven. They wouldn't be here if, if that weren't true. That's exactly but, right. But, what I've always been curious about is why some people, when put under stress, don't thrive and drive. They crumble. 
And what's so important is as leaders, we've got to decide, we either have to hire for it or we've got to grow it. And we've got to decide how do we make our teams function at 150%. And that's your responsibility. You know, one of the things I learned a long time ago, and I still fuck it up, but one of the things I learned a long time ago is it is my job to assure that everybody in my organization is joyful and everybody in my organization is, is going at 150%. Now, how do I make that happen, right? And that, what I've learned also, and that's why I wrote the book, Leading Without Authority, I learned that it's not your job to do that. It's your job to make your team do that for each other. So can you create a team that is equally as committed to the mission as they are to each other? And that's tough because, you know, sometimes we have people in our organizations that are getting great results, but they're assholes and they're not good team players. And we allow that to happen, right? And we allow that to happen because, oh, well, they're, you know, they're putting $3 million in the bottom line. But what we're not realizing is what we're losing is a sustainable team that as an entrepreneur, and most people here are investors, they're entrepreneurs, what you've got to recognize is that your joy, your life, your sustainability, your ability to leave your, your work for a month at a time or three months at a time, your ability to, uh, to, to pursue the joys of your life. I, one of the things I coach, I coach a, a, one of the oligarchs in Russia, and um, this is an individual. We've been able to free up uh, 30% of his time to do other outside of being a titan of industry outside of that, his, his ability to impact the world in positive ways. There are some that want to do that in Russia. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and we should all be aspiring to that. Everybody here should be aspiring to make a bigger impact, have more joy, have more time. And the question is, are you coaching your team to be co-elevated? Not just are you getting or squeezing out of every individual? Because that actually creates a competitive nature among people where uh, if you have that competitive nature among your team, that means you're constantly squeezing out of everybody, which means you're hijacked and you're a victim to your own leadership. I love that you went there because, you know, one of the philosophies that I hold dear to my heart is that if it's not sustainable, it's not successful. And to be a great leader, I think, especially in real estate or, you know, in this in this industry, it's a long term approach. And you've got to have a long term approach because you can have an amazing year. But if it's not sustainable in the long term, you're not really going to be successful. And then the other side of the coin that you just described in terms of, well, how are we spending our time and making an impact outside of just creating profit? Right. And so, you know, business in real estate in particular, these are vehicles towards creating an impact. And so I love that you went there and I love the word that you created co-elevation, right? That really resonates with Elevate Nation, right? I mean, it even rhymes with it. So talk to me a little bit more about that because you've described this as re-engineering behavior within your team. And you even mentioned it. It's like everybody should be joyful and they should be generating 150% of their potential. And it's not about you leading and whipping that and making that happen as a leader, but it's about this co-elevation. So talk a little bit more about that. The, the book I wrote, Leading Without Authority, started with the belief that inside of every relationship in, a, in an organization is coaching, but we don't activate it. So when I go into an organization, when I go into a team and we're coaching the largest um, automotive company in the world, we're coaching the, great, the largest, the most well-known telecoms company, one of the largest technical um, uh, companies in the world, uh, 
these organizations, I'm sitting with the executive team on a monthly basis, helping the team become co-elevating. And co-elevating is not a bullshit, let's hold hands thing. It's a, we will rise higher together than we would have individually. It's, it's moving from a group of silos, hub and spoke to a leader, to a group of individuals who will hold each other accountable, kick each other in the butt, wrestle ideas to the ground, innovate the hell out of things, you know, uh, aggressively move things in a powerful forward direction with, as I said, 150% because you're getting more out of yourself in, in a collectivism than you would yourself. My ideas are only my ideas. If I don't get other people's input into it, then I'm going to be as good as my own, my own self. I want to get, I want to be as good as everybody's input into my ideas and everybody in the team should feel that way. But most of our leaders don't organize even their team meetings for getting the most out of the interdependencies of the people. Um, the basic presumption, so I, I had been seeing for years teams that I've been coaching that were not interdependent and were not co-elevating. And so I wanted to make them that. And I did, they didn't even have a word for it. We called it collaboration. But collaboration is like, the way I think about collaboration is, if I can't get shit done myself, I'm going to reach out to you because I need your <laughs> assets. Or, or I'm going to come up with an idea and I need to get your buy-in, which means I'm selling you on an idea that I have. That's not creating something one plus one equals three. And so I wanted to figure out how do we design that? And so I started writing this book around how do you teach every member of your team to be co-elevating to each other? So I go into a team and I'm coaching the team to be co-elevating, but I'm also coaching the leader to sustain a co-elevating team when I leave. I was just talking to a CEO. It's a very unique situation, actually. A CEO some people could probably do the research if, if I if I describe this, but this is a CEO who's been asked to leave the company, um, who I love and respect, but for so, for a lot of reasons, not a lot of reasons, for a disruptive external investor. Now he has driven and created an extraordinary business, extraordinary outcomes, which begs the question of why the hell is this outside investor allowed to put this pressure on it? But that's a whole different question. What what I what I was talking to him about is. He's so committed to this team that he's built and so committed to sustaining its outcomes. He wants us to come in and help his team step up and be the team that it would have been with or without him. So he's got a window of opportunity between now and the end of the year when he leaves and a new CEO comes on board to equip this team to be as good as it was with him. And I think that that's an interesting because we should all be engineering our teams to be as good without us as they are with us. And my job when I come in is I coach that team to be that, but I'm also coaching the leader to become a different type of leader that creates co-elevation. And so, by the way, if you want to learn about this principle of co-elevation, go to coelevation.com, coelevation.com. Tons of free assets there that will help you begin to implement a co-elevating team for yourself, a diagnostic tool and a bunch of other things that should be interesting to you. Yeah. And I mean, the, um, you know, the leader who leaves an organization better off than he or she, you know, found it is obviously the true definition of a leader. And there's a lot of selflessness involved in the the specific example that you just shared. I mean, you know, putting the position, put the, putting the organization in a better position after being asked to leave. I mean, what an amazing impact. Right. 
to really leave. But thinking about this co-elevation, um, you know, thought process, it, you know, from one of the things that I've heard you say is, is you're almost moving from overload to a shared load. And I know that many of the entrepreneurs can resonate with that. It's like, as you're continuing to push and, and build more momentum, but you're also moving towards higher outcomes, you feel this overload or this overwhelm. But the way out of that is that you've described is co-elevation. And so are, th are there any practical tips that you might suggest for folks? Obviously, we'll put a link in the show notes as to where people can find coelevation.com. But are there any pro practical tips that you might suggest for folks as they're getting more familiar with this concept? Yeah, I mean, I think, <clears throat> again, I'm speaking to leaders, not team members right now, because when I'm speaking to a team member, it's a slightly different, uh, like I created Leading Without Authority for a leader to give to all of their team to make the team recognize their job to lead each other, to move from overload to shared load as a leader. What you're doing is you're saying, holy shit, I am, I am running around playing whack-a-mole. I have a different job. My job now is to be the ninja that's running around getting Jane to coach Joe, getting you know Aaron and Patty to create a partnership that I don't have to fucking do this anymore. They're going to do it, right? They're the ones... That are, that are creating and elevating. And when they can't, then they're going to raise their hands and they're going to ask for time for the staff meeting so that they bring in a question, right? Right now, the way we use our staff meetings, I would say that's probably the number thing, one thing to do. Re-engineer your staff meetings. You have a social contract. You're probably not even aware of it. You have a social contract on your team. And the team social contract is things like, you know, we... We don't throw each other under the bus. That's a social contract today, which means if someone's given a report out, we're not going to critique them, right? Because it's going to make them look bad in front of the boss. How about a different social contract, which is someone's giving a, a feed, a, 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 an update report. We are not going to let them do anything other than be extraordinary. So we are going to give them feedback. We're going to give them, we're going to push them higher. Because damn it, we won't let, not only we will not let them fail, but we want to make them extraordinary. And so our ability to create a new social contract and reboot your team's understanding of each other and understanding of what their roles are for each other is, is what we're talking about. And it's not throwing people under the bus. It's not being critical. It's elevating, right? It's elevating. So, you know, from overload to shared load means you take the responsibility. I think I wrote a piece it was either in the Wall Street Journal or Harvard Business Review. Um, let me just check it real quick while we're talking. Um, it's really about how do you teach your managers to lean on each other? Um, I'll get that and we can, we can post it in, in post on this thing. But yeah, um, yeah. The whole concept of leading without authority, I mean, it reminds me of what my friend Rich Devinney, the former Navy SEAL commander, has um, taught me in terms of dynamic subordination. And at any moment, there's a new leader on the team, right? There, and at any moment, yeah. in any sort of circumstance, someone gets the opportunity to step up as that leader. And I think that's really powerful, but also, you know, structuring your, you know, your systems within your business, such as staff meetings, and also creating new social contracts between other people to say, look, it's not about reprimanding each other. It's about supporting each other to go higher together, which is also another thing that I love about like your own personal tagline and just the way that you approach this is going higher together. This is about elevating. This is what elevating is about. So you just sent me the link here, which of course we'll grab and we'll put in a link in the show notes. Where was the, uh, where was the article, Keith? 
Yeah, it was in HBR. And I did this back in 2015, six ways to turn managers back into coaches again. And, and the key is, what I'm saying is your managers always, you know, we always say our managers need to be better coaches. Our managers need to turn their teams into each other's coaches. That's a big shift. And that's a new show, so social contract. And you as a leader of the company need to elevate the whole team to elevate each other. And that's the shift. That's the shift. I love and it. And part of it is just as, again, how do you, if you, if you have at your staff meetings, if you have everybody doing report outs and no one's really giving each other feedback, you're just reinforcing siloed behavior. But if at the end of every report out, you snap your fingers and say, okay, everybody go to breakout rooms at two. And in those breakout rooms, I want you to discuss what challenges do you have for that report out you just heard? What innovations do you want to offer that report out you heard? What offer of support or help do you want to give that person who just gave the report out? Open a Google Doc. Don't make this bullshit. Open a Google Doc and have them write the answers to those questions. Challenges, innovations, offer of help. I call that bulletproofing. You need to teach your team to bulletproof each other. And once you start to get into these habits and rituals, you know, mindsets, and I know you're, you're big into the mindsets, mindsets only happen when practices occur. And so there's a wonderful old phrase that says, you don't think your way into a new way of acting. You act your way into a new way of thinking. So in our practice as an organization, we have documented dozens and dozens of high return practices. And a high return practice is a practice that somebody commits to that we promise you because of our research in our research institute has been, has been curated to assure a high return for that practice. Moving a report out to a bulletproofing exercise is a, is a superfood. It's like a superfood for a high-performing team. It's a very high return practice. Hey guys, just a quick word from our sponsor and we'll be right back to the show. This episode of Elevate is brought to you by CF Capital. And you know how much I love real estate and how it can be a vehicle towards creating any outcome that you want in your life, which is really why we created CF Capital, a real estate investment firm that focuses on acquiring and operating multifamily assets that provide stable cash flow, capital appreciation, and a margin of safety for our investors, for our partners, and for the people that we serve. Our team leverages its expertise in acquisitions and management to provide investors like you with superior risk-adjusted returns while placing a premium on preserving capital. Our mission is to provide property investment and asset management solutions to help investors maximize their returns by investing in high-value multifamily communities. Our philosophy is that we can elevate communities together through this process. And I want to invite you to go check out cfcapllc.com because we have a free ebook that's called the bottom line, the 10 ways to increase cash flow in an apartment complex. And I want to tell you that this is a value packed ebook. So I want to, want to invite you to go check that out right now at cfcapllc.com. I think you're going to get a ton of value just from reading this, whether you apply it to your own business or whether you educate yourself further on what it would look like if you invested with CF Capital. So go check that out at cfcapllc.com. Again, that's cfcapllc.com. 
and enjoy the rest of the show. Keith, this is one of the things that I love about your work is that it really illustrates how business has evolved over the past several decades. I mean, in particular, I mean, obviously earlier work uh, and earlier relatively, obviously thinking about never eat alone, thinking about um, networking, building relationships, building networks. It's about generosity. It's not about taking, it's about giving more. And then if you look at what you're just describing in terms of leading without authority, co-elevation, it's not about, hey, I'm the boss, I'm in charge, I get to tell you what to do. It's about, hey, let's do this together. Let's go hire together as a result. It's totally different than where business has been or was, you know, early on in the industrial revolution and so far. Yeah, well, of course. And, yeah. and then as and as you've now taken it forward with your research institute and, and the way that you've now studied businesses that are innovating and that have innovated successfully already through the pandemic, which I think is really, really exciting and seeing how this is continuing to accelerate. Yeah. Obviously with Thank your new book, Competing in the New World of Work, I think is really, really interesting. So let's switch gears a little bit and talk about that. Let's talk about what you found in terms of radical adaptability, because I think that's almost a central theme of a lot of what your work has been over the past several decades. Yeah, if you think of, thank you very much, by the way, what I love it when I show up and people have done their crazy amount of homework. So you obviously have, thank you. Um, the, the work that we did eight years of work that really defined co-elevation, which is a set of behaviors we've just been talking about. Now you add that. What I found when I was sitting in these executive teams, what I found was that they were constantly being met with challenges that were very hard for them to adapt to and for their teams to adapt to. And the leaders themselves were doing a decent job of trying to stay ahead of the, of the game. But they were always like, looking back and pulling their team with them. that again, once again, if you as a leader are the visionary, if you as a leader are constantly the one adapting and pivoting the organization, you're always going to be integral to the business and you're never going to be get, able to get your 30% break or even the three months off or whatever it is. So I started looking at a framework for how does a team, how do the highest performing teams work that actually stay ahead of the market? And by the way, there are very few, even organizations that were birthed in disruption get disrupted pretty quickly. And so the question is, how do we, how do we lead ourselves into a, a, to meeting this radically volatile world that we're living in today? And I and adopted a new framework called radical adaptability. Now, how did I figure this out? In the greatest disruption that we've seen, in the greatest disruption that we've seen, in the, you know, in the last 200 years of, of business was the pandemic. And I said, let's go out and research and find the leaders who are utilizing the pandemic to leap forward dozens of years. And there were very few, but we researched up to 2000 executives during the pandemic and created a book documenting the best practices of these leaders. And it's called competing in the new work world. And the methodology that we saw among these leaders is what's called radical adaptability. And it's the adoption of an agile way of working. Some of you might've heard of agile. Maybe you didn't. Agile is a framework that was created in technology companies among the technology individuals, the engineers, on how they changed the way they would program from what used to be called waterfall to into agile, where they, they worked in short sprints. And by doing that, they could constantly adjust their code and, and get to an agenda and get to an outcome faster than if they had done it in their traditional, more sequential way, as opposed to in sprints, agile. And so we now need to run our entire organizations on agile. And so the book really focuses on companies like Unilever and others who've done that and how they, how, what we can learn from them and how do we 
reboot our company's fragile. The other one is inclusion. So many organizations hunkered down in the pandemic and you know, like they 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 brought the wagons tight. Well, the great organizations opened their app. The great organizations said, well, shit, I don't, the next time I have a physical meeting, I don't have to do it in a physical room where people fly in. I can get ideas from anywhere in the company. I can start to crowdsource innovation from my network. Companies like Lionel Basil went out to their vendor community saying, how are we going to reinvent our relationship? Companies like, um, you know, like Unilever again, decided to crowdsource business planning instead of the executive team, 15 people doing business planning, they opened it up to the top 300 leaders. So, how do we really open the apertures and get radical innovation and bolder ideas? Now, that was the other thing that a lot of companies used to think that bold, I, that innovation, I'm sorry, they used to think that more people involved in decision-making slowed down decision-making. And that was true when you threw meetings at problems. Whereas now companies that are using the, the collaborative collaboration stack of tools like like Slack and asynchronous collaboration and Google Docs. There's this whole layer of collaboration that happens not with physical meetings, that happens in the cloud where your team is talking and, and actively collaborating and moving the agenda forward without a damn meeting. Now, all of a sudden, you can include five times as many people in decisions, bolder ideas, and get it done faster without meetings even happening, right? This is the kind of shit we saw in 2020 in 2021 that we documented in this new book, Competing in the New Work World, and, 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 and also you know, the, one of the other areas about resilience. How do we do all of that and keep the energy of our people up? Everybody is so fatigued and fractured and, 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 um, and feeling like they're just drained from one Zoom meeting after another. And again, we, we, we worked with Weight Watchers and, and um, Headspace and so many companies looking at how do we make mental well-being not just a safety net if somebody hits the wall, how do we make it a competitive advantage? How do we make the corporate athlete something we're all thinking about constantly tuning the mental well-being of our people? So what we found is that coming out of the pandemic, we created this methodology called radical adaptability, which goes beautifully with co-elevation. Those two things combined will fundamentally reset your organization. That's so beautiful. And, you know, what you just mentioned in terms of uh, like the cloud collaboration as one example, I think that is so, so relevant. And, you know, if you think about teams that are growing, teams that are building, you know, whether it's remote or hybrid work, you know, you can accomplish so much more when you don't spend time and just meeting after meeting and think about how can we make decisions? How can we provide more inclusion, faster progress without, you know, without all the red tape, so to speak. And the, I, I would imagine that buy-in obviously leads to further growth because you're getting that 100% commitment, right? That 150% potential in terms of the input. Talk to me, what is the organization of the future? Because obviously through this, we've seen acceleration. We've seen change grow faster. What do you believe is really the optimized, uh, you know, organization of the, of the future optimized for success? I think the organization of the future are predominantly independent agents who come together and work on goals and projects and have instant bonding and instant connection when they do so, and then dissipate to work on the next, to reform and reshape. And we might, we might be on three or four teams at any given time. Um, in a sense, what I'm thinking about is the organization of the future is a set of shared goals 
networks of people coming together to achieve those goals that have nothing to do with org design, company structure, even even, um, geography. It's irrelevant. It's about a goal aligned to a network of people to achieve that goal. And that is the organization of the future. And the and the the or there are industries that have done that well. Entertainment does that well. You think about what a what a movie project is. There's nobody there who reports to each other traditionally. You know, Spielberg and some executive producers and and actors, they all come together. And the, the guy who's who's running the grip and the guy who's running the camera, they've they may have never worked together before, but all of a sudden they come together with a shared mission. And they are deeply bonded and committed for this shared mission for up to you know months or a year or years at a time, perhaps. And they some of them may have other gigs at the same time, but they're but they are they are a network of people coming together functioning effectively to achieve a goal. Now, when you do that, you you kill your overhead, you get flexibility, you get the best people, but you need but you as a leader need to lead differently in that kind of a gig working environment of the future. And I frankly think it's the way we should be thinking anyway, which is instead of thinking that person works for me, no, it's <laughs> you, are you good enough of a leader? Is your mission powerful enough that you can attract the best and brightest to co-create with you? Fuck the, it gets, that person works for me. Can you create the most extraordinary universe of people who will co-create amazing breakthrough solutions with you. That's the difference. That's amazing. And I, it's really exciting and, and it's inspiring because you can think about how much more can be done uh, when you think about that adaptability. I mean, what you just described to me really resonates as that radical adaptability. It's, it's this organism that exactly. shifts and it grows and it adapts towards what is the outcome. And then it dissipates and it grows and it forms into something else. I think that's really exciting. But the other piece of it is you, you apply technology, but you also apply even more humanity onto it. You were talking about resilience earlier, thinking about empathy and being empathetic towards others and, and sort of that mental health and being aware of what are, you know, what are those personal needs and, and problems and challenges and things going on so that we can all optimize this collaboration together. One of the things that I think is so important to what you just described is that network to be successful in the future, in the organization of the future and optimizing towards success. To me, it still comes down to that relationship and those relationships and that, that network. So could you talk to me a little bit about, I mean, obviously you wrote Never Eat Alone, you wrote Who's Got Your Back, you know, New York Times, number one, best-selling books on networking, on building relationships through generosity, which are highly recommended reads. But is there anything that you would say in terms of how networking or relationship building has changed or, or you know, adjusted, especially since the pandemic? Yeah. Is there anything that you point to? Well, I think the principles of Never Eat Alone have been a through line for me, which is you have to earn the right to build a relationship in your life. And so you lead with generosity. You follow with authenticity and, and vulnerability becomes a... a um, a superpower to attract people to. So that's a, that's a basic principle. Now the question is what, what leading without authority did is it moved those principles from networking to leadership, right? How do we lead that way? And, you know, and given that we, that all the big 
research organizations say that we are working in networks today. You know, we used to call it the matrix organization, but we work in networks today. Adam Grant says, Leading Without Authority is the leading book teaching you how to lead in networks. Not a surprise that the guy who wrote the book on networking is the guy who's teaching you how to lead in networks. What I would, what I would say is, in, specific to the pandemic, um, what's changed is the, is the use of remote and virtual. I'm sad that so many leaders have not done remote and virtual well. They've done it acceptably because we had to because of the pandemic, but they've not done it well. And so they're, they're, they're scrambling back into old workplace. And so I created a research project, a massive, so I always do these big research projects. So I have a research institute for Aussie Greenlight. And in 2010, I created a research project called the New People Rules in a Virtual World. And it was, it was 2 million bucks of research, which I published maybe 20 pieces in HBR. You go and look in hbr.org, type the name Farazi, you'll see a ton of pieces. How do you manage a virtual boss? How do you manage virtual teams? How do you, how do you build trust in, when you're virtual? All those kind of things. And I went on this journey since 2010. And then in the pandemic, it's the only time anybody ever read those articles. Nobody gave a shit. From 2010 to 2020, they were relatively unattended to. And then in 2020, they were interesting because we're all virtual. But the problem is we spent a year and a half using the tools acceptably, but not extraordinarily. So I created a new research project in 2020 called Go Forward to Work. And the idea was, let us, let's not come out of the pandemic and just go back to work. Let's come out of the, pan, the pandemic and leap forward to work. That's awesome. And that research project culminated in the book, Competing in the New Work World. And the methodology we found of how do you really leap forward in the post-pandemic world came up in radical adaptability. But the big thing I learned was how poorly people were using the tools. So I've recently partnered with a tech company called Mural. I don't know if you know Mural. Um, they do uh, virtual whiteboarding, but it's really much more than that. Um, now I'm going to pitch my, my sponsor. <laughs> what, I, what I partnered with, when I looked at what Mural was doing, but I also looked at what you know, Teams and Zoom and Google, and I looked at all of the tools and, we, and I worked with a group of CIOs and we, we accumulated what I called the collaborative tech stack. And we started looking at that and saying, okay, that's the tech stack that you, many of these companies have offered. And, and any company can have it. They're so cheap and, and ubiquitously available now, Zoom and, and Google Docs, et cetera. The question is, what is your collaboration stack of working rules that uses and leverages those? And that's what's missing. We got the tech. We haven't rebooted the rules. And I would say that's when you, you asked me the question, how has networking changed in a post-pandemic world? The interface, the medium. And whether that's networking externally for sales or opportunity or networking internally for productivity or leadership, what's changed is the medium of physical to remote and hybrid and asynchronous, and very few people are getting it right. So I highly encourage you to get the book for that reason alone, or go to coelevation.com and there's some really good white papers there I did recently that, and there's also some pieces. I did two really cool pieces uh, with NPR. There were a set of interviews that they edited down to to two, three minute video uh, audios, which is a really good starting point 
for how you should reboot your use of tools in this post-pandemic world. Again, they're over at coelevation.com. That's so good. And it really resonates with me again, because you think about the level of technology and information that we all have at our fingertips. It's not about it's not about information. It's about insight. It's not about technology. It's, it's about interfacing with that technology and how are you collaborating yeah. with the stack of working rules rather than just the tools, man, that's, that's very, very insightful. Keith, thank you so much. This has been phenomenal. I want to uh, transition into our rapid fire section because I want to be respectful of your time. I also want to plant the seed for part two, because we've got a lot more to get to at some point in time, Keith. Uh, but I want to transition into the rear air questionnaire. It's all about being uncommon. It's all about elevating right? Co-elevating together and going higher together, which is what you're all about, which I'm really, really excited about. So I want to dive into just a few things, obviously being a prolific author yourself, I would imagine you're a big reader. If you had to point to two or three of the most impactful books that you've read over the past few years, what would those be and why? More recently, my buddy, Sergey Young just came out with a great book. I was just looking for it around uh, growing young. Um, it's if you, we all need to awaken to our commitment to longevity a uh, buddy of mine, Peter Diamandis, and another friend, Tony Robbins, are coming out with a new book that you could probably pre-order on that same subject, which is going to be great. So just, you know, really, if you don't think you're going to live to 120, then uh, you're mistaken. You should be, we should all be able to live well above 100 and be fully functioning and, and, and productive. So make sure you read that stuff. I also, I'll, I'll always tip my hat to Peter's books. Um, uh, Peter Diamandis's books, 100%, anything he writes about the future, particularly around how fast it's coming and how much it's actually already here and how abundant and positive it is. So I would, I would tip my hat to that. And then, you know, one of my dear friends, and uh, I knew him since he was a young man at, at Warden, uh, Adam Grant's work. I would definitely pick up anything that he's written recently. Uh, I tip my hat to him and he's such a great thinker and a good, good man. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I, I really admire uh, all three of those um, authors and, and those specific works. And, and as you mentioned, you know, the future is more abundant and more exciting than we think. And it's already here in many ways and uh, continues to come our way. And we were talking about the organization of the future. It's, you know, who is, who are you in the future? And, then, and I think that's really exciting part of our conversation. Keith, we'll put a link in the show notes as to where all the listeners can find your books. Of course, your newest book, in addition to all the books you just mentioned there. And I am a huge fan of obviously of your work and, and a lot of a fan of the people that you just mentioned as well. Uh, if you had to point to two or three, uh, I'm sorry, if you had to point to the biggest way that you elevate your life on a daily basis, Keith, what would it be? Uh, I don't do enough of it, but I would say it's gratitude. What I do is I wake up in the morning and you know, my alarm set for six or five or whatever I happen to be getting up. And I always give myself five minute snooze, but it's not a snooze. It's a five minute gratitude. I just lie in bed and I think about the things that I'm most grateful for leading your life, starting your life out every morning with gratitude and abundance, I would say is probably the greatest benefit. Now, on a personal basis, I have, um, uh, I've always been a seeker. I've always gone very deep. And there are now new medicines available to us that are very powerful. Um, things, you know, go to Costa Rica and do ayahuasca, um, psilocybin, which is uh, what used to back in the 60s called magic mushrooms, but they, they, they change the brain chemistry and unlock uh, the, the sequestered fears and insecurities and open those up. And if done, not recreationally, but if done in serious journeys with, with guides, whether they're shaman or, or whether they're doctors, 
are very, very powerful to allow you to reboot the things that hold you back and create those real glass ceilings in yourself. But there's an entire industry, it's now legal um, and it's very powerful to take you to the next level. Yeah. And it reminds me of uh, Stephen Kotler's work in Chasing Fire, thinking about how can you unlock additional creativity, innovation, not only within your own thinking, but within other people around you, you know, pay attention to certain tools like this. So that that's awesome. And, and I couldn't agree more in terms of gratitude. And I love the idea that you brought in terms of, hey, you know what, if you're going to use a snooze, why not lay there for five minutes and think about gratitude? What are you grateful for today? Keith, this is awesome, man. What's the biggest way that you elevate others around you? I think the, be- the thing that I do is I, I, help people see the, the potential of that footprint that they could leave on this planet that they didn't see otherwise and helping them realize and then be as a friend or as a coach, you know, professionally uh, to them achieving it. Like my buddy, um, Sergey Young, who's also a client who, you know, he was a hedge fund guy, very successful hedge fund guy. And he had this, this belief in longevity and we helped him free up 30% of his time so he could go pursue his himself being a democratization evangelist of longevity in the world. Um, that's where I get excited. When every human that I come in contact with, my question is, where are they going? Where do they think they can go? By the way, let me say something to you, Tyler. I, want, I don't want to uh, let this go. I do a lot of these. You have, and I don't know what your following is. I don't know how big it is, et cetera. You have an exceptional interview style, your preparation and the work that you do, the comfort, the intellect, um, I, I really think you're going to go very far. And I hope that you get recognized and, and promote yourself sufficiently because you've got a lot to offer the world through the way in which you conduct your interviews. So thank you for this. It was worth my time. Well, that means a lot. That really does. Thank you so much, Keith. Man, this has been an awesome conversation. You've inspired many. Keith, I want to acknowledge you as well for continuing to push, for continuing to share your expertise, for continuing to research, find insights in terms of how we can take things to the next level, how we can co-elevate, how we can go higher together. Keith Ferrazzi, my goodness, what an amazing conversation. Keith, do you have any parting thoughts or words of wisdom before we wrap today? No, just thank everybody out there. And I hope you all engage in our work and get to know me better. Follow us on uh, with our tips and the things that we do. And you know, look, I mean, this is what we do for a living. My organization is growing and we do great coaching of your executive team. So if you're interested, reach out to us. And one of my, one of my partners would love to come in and, and be of support. Of course. And we will put links in the show notes as to where you can find Keith at KeithFarazzi.com. Of course, on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter as well. In addition to where you can buy every single one of his books because they are spectacular. And uh, Keith, thank you again for being on the show, my friend. Elevate Nation. Oh man, that was such an honor to be with Keith Ferrazzi. Um, one of the most incredible people uh, that I've been able to learn from over the past few years. And I hope that you learned a lot today because you want to talk about somebody who is continuing to push the bar continuing to raise the bar, continuing to elevate other people in so many different ways and continuing to inspire, you know, that is a phenomenal individual that we were just had the pleasure of speaking to. And so I just want to encourage you to re-listen to the show. I want to encourage you not only to utilize repetition, but also to utilize discussion and collaboration, perhaps co-elevation in the way that you discuss this with someone else, share with someone else what was it that you learned about this episode? Maybe you have some questions about this discussion. Maybe you have some things that you'd like to implement and you like to ask someone, how might I implement this? How might I integrate this into my own practice or in my own organization or into the own, my own way of thinking? 
this is just such a remarkable episode and such a, you know, an opportunity for us to now implement at the end of the day, of course, as you know, my most important call to action for you is to take massive action, take action on what you learned today. Without further ado, Elevate Nation, thank you so much for tuning in and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to Elevate. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to elevate your results by taking immediate action on what you learned. For more, visit elevatepod.com.